Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 10 of The Press with Derek Ryan of the Carolina Hurricanes. Now, I don't know this for a fact, but I would venture to guess there aren't too many 30-year-old rookies in the NHL. Well, that's exactly what Derek Ryan was this past year. He took a circuitous route to the National Hockey League. He's a Spokane native, played for the Spokane Chiefs, the hometown team, didn't grow up with you know, his sights on the NHL, didn't think he had that potential, went the Canadian university route, which if you're unfamiliar with the game, it might seem surprising, but they don't really produce very many NHL players, then continued his career overseas. And there was a period of time where he didn't think he would do that or didn't expect to do that for very long, but ended up moving up the ranks overseas until he got a call from a familiar name and that eventually led to him landing with the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, he's got a really, really great story, um, as unlikely as they come. And I, I love talking to these guys that go off the beaten path a little bit because you have really interesting life experiences and adjustments that you have to make and, and interesting stories, and, and Derek is a good example of that. Really enjoyed my conversation with him and, and just kind of get to know him uh, a lot better and get an idea of what he went through and, and how he kind of made his path to the NHL. Uh, something that, again, he, he didn't really dream of. His dream was to play for the Spokane Chiefs, did that, and anything beyond that was was a bonus, and, and it's turned out quite nicely for him. So I hope you enjoy it. Episode 10 of The Press with Derek Ryan. How's your summer been? You know, it's been pretty good. It's always nice to come back and be back home in Spokane, friends and family, and back in the house. It was, it's been good. It was a little cold to start out there in the spring when we got back, but it's since warmed up. Can't complain. But what's the summer routine like for you when you're back in the area? Yeah, I usually just take a couple, relaxing out with the family and spend a lot of time with the kids, that kind of thing, and then. Just kind of start training. Got my trainer here in town, and go in there four or five times a week. And don't usually don't start skating for another month or so after we get back, and then start skating once or twice a week, and just kind of get back on the training and hanging out with friends and family. I don't get to see a whole lot during the season, so just kind of a lot of relaxing time and enjoying time back at home. Any lake time? Any lake time, is that what you said? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um, we don't have a boat or anything like that, but we have a couple friends that do, so we go out on Coeur d'Alene and some of the smaller lakes around Spokane a little bit. But I have a little pool here in the backyard, and we have friends that have a pool, so we usually spend more time at the pool than at the lake. But the lake's always fun to go out there on a, on a boat or out on the beach or something like that. Yeah, so you've done so much traveling, and, and obviously you do a ton through the course of the season. Do you do much of that when you're yeah. away from the game, or do you kind of keep that to the the hockey life and, and the, that routine during the season? We usually like to take at least one trip in the summertime just to kind of get away, a little vacation. At the end of the season, we went to Florida, I went to Disney World with the kids, and then we went to Vegas this year, this summer, for the NHL Awards and kind of made that, turn that into a little bit of a trip as well, turn it into a whole week thing. And 
Yeah, I usually try and do at least one trip, whether we do Mexico or something like that. Go to some warm weather and kind of relax and get away from the stresses and all that stuff that goes on during the season. It's nice to relax a little bit. Yeah, uh, given kind of the the adventurous nature of of your career up until the last couple of years, is it kind of boring knowing you're just going back to Carolina after the summer? No, it's really nice. <laughs> it's nice to have that that comforts. I know there there's a couple of years there, well, a lot of years in my career so far, they were bouncing around in new new countries, new cities almost every year, so it's nice to have that comfort where we know exactly where we're going, what we're getting into, we know the city and the organization and all that kind of stuff. So it's nice to have that that comfort that you don't really have when you go into a new a new organization. So definitely has some some value in that for sure we enjoy being in carolina and the comfort that we have there so that's that's worth something for sure anything that you in particular that you miss from the overseas experience and and the time you spent um you know particularly in europe through you know the, the few previous years before you got with the hurricanes organization yeah mostly just the travel to be honest there's there's a couple of international breaks throughout the season one in November and one in February usually where you get, I don't know, 10 days off the games and usually at least four or five days off of practicing where you can fly somewhere or drive somewhere when you're in Europe. So anything's pretty close within driving distance. You can go somewhere and spend some time, whether you go to Paris, which is what we did one year we were in Sweden or when we were in Austria, I mean, we could go just about anywhere. We were 20 minutes from Italy, 20 minutes from Slovenia, three and a half hours from Vienna, three hours from Munich. And so, yeah, we just, we were just able to travel around a ton and get those experiences that not a lot of people have at our age. And we have this map up in my house here in Spokane and kind of shows all the places that we visited and lived together and just have all those cool experiences and get to see all those cool different cultures and all that stuff that I guess you just don't really have in North America. So yeah, I definitely miss that. Coolest place you went to? I mean, maybe outside of the, the Parises of the world that, that we hear about all the time, but maybe somewhere off the beaten path that you really enjoyed? Yeah, you know, the the one thing I tell most people that ask me that question is Slovenia, just as a whole, the whole country. Uh, most people probably can't even point out Slovenia on the map <laughs> where it is in Europe. Guilty. It's definitely a hidden a hidden gem just south of Austria. Um really beautiful uh, kind of reminds me of the pacific northwest a little bit and that it's just has big rolling mountains and and very green lush tree areas and just some real hidden gems in there there's a, a cool lake that was about 30 minutes from where we lived that had this big castle in the middle of the lake and a church and totally picturesque beautiful europe and yeah i mean sylvania is a hidden traveling it's super cheap you can go there and live like a king for a week or so and not spend a whole lot of money so yeah it's definitely one of the hidden gems in europe i like to tell people about that what's it like in those european leagues you know you hear a lot about guys playing basketball overseas and all the different levels how is it hockey i mean i'm always curious what like the lifestyle is like the resources travel especially on the lower levels where there might not be as much money to to throw at you guys and the amenities and all that stuff that goes into you know being a professional hockey player and and traveling and all that 
Yeah, I actually know a couple of people who play professional basketball over there, and the experience seems to be pretty similar. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty good. There's obviously, they're not throwing as much money at you or into the organization as they do in the NHL. Your travel is by bus, and you usually travel the same day of the game. So you, if you have a longer drive, you just get up earlier and bus there before the game and just kind of arrive right on time and then get ready, play the game. And then after the game, you get undressed and go back on the bus and drive home. So a little bit different in that regard, but um, yeah, I think it's, especially for me, I, I sound like I came from the NHL and then went to the European leagues. I was, I was coming from Canadian university. So just about anything that was allowing me to get paid to play hockey was pretty cool. So I, (laughs) I had a different perspective than, than some, I guess most people would have, most hockey players would have. And I think it's fantastic. You you just show up there. They have an apartment ready for you. They have a car ready for you. You don't have to worry about anything like that. Um, basically, you just show up and, and play hockey and experience the culture, just kind of dive right in. So it's it's definitely, I found it really enjoyable. My family and I really, really loved it. We loved the, the experiences and and just kind of the memories that we have over there. Our firstborn son was born in Austria as well. So, yeah, we just have a lot of fond memories of it. It's definitely something that I recommend to a lot of players that call and ask me about it. What was the biggest adjustment coming from the Canadian University League and, and then going overseas? I would imagine language was a big part of that, but but lifestyle uh, or hockey-wise, what was the, the biggest thing you had to kind of get acclimated to? Yeah, there was... There was a lot there for sure, especially because my first year I signed in Hungary, which was part of the Austrian league. And Hungary is definitely, I mean, <clears throat> kind of a culture shock, I guess you could say. There there weren't a whole lot of people that spoke English in the city that we lived in. Um, so, yeah, you're just trying to get used to all these things at the same time. You're trying to live in a new country, a new city, um, trying to speak the language, trying to communicate with people. Um, not only in the organization, but at the grocery store, or at the mall, or wherever you, you seem to be at the time. So you're trying to figure that out. And then European hockey is significantly different than North American hockey as well. So you're trying to adjust to, you know, the bigger ice size, the more more of a skill game, skill goal scoring game, less physical, less of a hard-nosed, gritty game that you find in North America, even at the Canadian University level. And I mean, I don't think there was one single thing that was the hardest. It's just all those factors piling up on you and just trying to adjust to all of it at the same time. But the biggest thing that I tell people that are embarking on the European adventure is that if you have an open mind and you're ready for just about anything <laughs> in the organization or in the city, then you can just roll with the punches and enjoy it and take it for what it is you're still getting paid to play hockey which is pretty dang cool in my opinion so if you just have that open mind you can enjoy the experiences as they come and and try and take advantage of them but was there one thing you really had to learn to have an open mind about food or or the the travel routine or anything that that really took some getting used to yeah food was a little bit different i never had a huge problem there i'm not not too picky of an eater, but yeah, the travel situation, especially if you've come from playing pro in North America, whether it's the American hockey league or the East coast hockey league, or for sure the NHL, um, you're going to have a bit of an adjustment there. You're, 
you have to pack up your own gear, you have to load it on the bus and you're traveling, you know, by a, by bus for six or seven hours sometimes before a game. Um, so yeah, you kind of have to be able to adjust to, to those situations, the, the, uh, pregame rituals and, and, uh, I guess, yeah, I mean, the pregame meals as well, the food's a little bit different, so you have to get used to that, but definitely the, the travel and the amount of money the organizations are spending on, on, um, the players and that sort of thing is a little bit different, especially if you've played pro in North America. Do you remember? That's a big adjustment for a lot of players that I've seen. Do you remember the first time somebody put something on your plate in front of you that that you really just weren't sure about? <laughs> yeah, I think it was within a week of me arriving in Hungary for sure. We had this kind of bigger celebration. It was the in the beginning of the season, obviously, so we're having some team functions and some team builders, and the Hungarians love these big platters of um, cold cut meats, which is fine. And then there's also the pates and <laughs> the duck livers and all that kind of stuff. They like to spread on crackers and eat that. And I found it better if I just didn't ask what it was and tried it for myself and see if I liked it. And then if I liked it, then I'll eat it. But yeah, it's, it's definitely a lot different. Um, I guess everywhere in Europe, I mean, all the way from my days in Hungary to Sweden where we had breakfast at the rink, the, the guys like to put this caviar paste on their, mm. their toast and eggs in the morning. It comes in like this little toothpaste, looking tube and they just spread it on their toast and eggs and i never really got into that but yeah the caviar spread and i mean all these different cultures and the food experiences you have over there are an adjustment for a lot of north americans who are used to um the more americanized meals and anything that you grew to like that maybe you can't get here that you wish you could that's a good question i mean hungary and austria are pretty um, you know, meat and potatoes, pretty simple. Sweden was kind of the same way that we were on more of the eastern coast of Sweden and the western coast is more known for its fish and, and uh, you know, right out of the, the ocean there in Gothenburg. But, um, yeah, it wasn't. Any, I don't think there's anything that I really crave. I mean, the grocery stores, it seems like the produce and the meat departments may be a little more, a little cleaner, a little fresher. And sometimes you find in North America, but in terms of a specific meal, I guess I can't really think of anything off the top of my head that I really crave. You had success in the European leagues. I mean, you rose up the ranks, but you took such an unconventional path, both university in Canada and then going overseas. Was there a point or do you remember the point where you were like, you know, the, the NHL thing might not end up happening? I don't think I really even envisioned that I would play in the NHL ever until I signed that first contract with Carolina. I mean, after my my career at the University of Alberta, basically at that point, I'm just looking to maybe try out the European thing. I, maybe it'll work out. I'm not really doing it for, definitely not doing it as an option to make the NHL, more or less just doing it to see if I can make a European career out of it. And all the way from the Austrian league to the Swedish league. Still at that point, I'm basically just trying to continue my career. And at that point, you know, making pretty good money. I can um, provide for my family doing this and continue to rise through the ranks of the European leagues. And definitely didn't really think that, okay, maybe I can go back and play in the NHL. I didn't really, I don't even know if I really even cared about that at that point, to be honest, I was just more, more or less focused on climbing the ranks in Europe and, 
continuing to provide for my family and have those great experiences. And yeah, so I mean, definitely never really thought the NHL would even be an option, to be honest. Do you think you would have stuck with it overseas for a while if the opportunity with the Hurricanes didn't come about? Or, or was there a certain point where you said at, at this age or maybe after this many years, it's time to maybe go back home and, and start a new chapter of life? <laughs> uh, that probably would have depended a little bit on the family, the wife and kids. Because once <laughs> the kids get into school, it gets a little bit harder. But I mean, at that point in Sweden, I was making way more money than I would ever make just as in, in a normal job, I guess, normal in quotations, whatever that means, in a normal job in Spokane. So, I mean, I probably would have continued, wanted to continue to do that for as long as I could, as, I, as long as I could stay in the higher league in Europe and as long as my family and kids were enjoying it and continuing to enjoy those experiences. And, yeah, I mean, for sure, I would, I would imagine that I would still be playing over in Europe and maybe in Sweden or Russia or one of those top leagues and, continuing to carve out a good living and enjoy the European lifestyle. How close were you to pursuing another career after college? Pretty close. I mean, I I knew that I at least wanted to try one year of playing pro hockey, but you never really know exactly what kind of opportunity you're going to get. If it's going to be in a good, decent European league, which I was lucky enough to get in the Austrian league or maybe I don't get that contract and I have to start in a lower league. And is it really worth it at that point to go over for a little bit of money just to have the experience? I mean, yeah, probably, I guess for just a year, but um, I was pretty close. I I knew I wanted to pursue some sort of um, maybe a pharmacist or medical career after, after school. So I was pretty close to pursuing that. It was, it was kind of a tough decision, but, once I knew I was getting that opportunity in a good league like Austria, then it was kind of a no-brainer. But maybe that thing, that contract doesn't come along and things work out quite a bit differently. What got you interested in going the pharmaceutical path? Yeah, I don't know. I just I was always interested in whether it was being a doctor or or a dentist or a pharmacist. And I, as I went through my undergrad at the U of A, I kind of specialized in a little or a lot of pharmacology and physiology and those sorts of classes. So found that really interesting and um as I specialized a little bit more I knew that that was my my biggest interest I knew it'd be a good career that I could have for for a long time and obviously could have gone to pharmacy school or something like that somewhere at WSU or somewhere in the Pacific Northwest somewhere not too far away so always was kind of my the plan in the back of my head was if hockey didn't work out that I wanted to pursue pharmacy and that's kind of what I was I was working towards that in finishing my undergrad degree at the U of A and just trying to figure out where I was going in life. Do you see yourself still pursuing that once hockey is over or are you going to go the kind of the conventional ex-athlete route of of coaching or staying in the game in some way shape or form? Yeah I don't know I've been asked that quite a few times I don't really see myself being a coach too much especially I mean you kind of have to work your way up and travel around a lot with the teams and all that kind of stuff. So I think at that point when I'm done traveling and playing hockey, I'm going to ready to going to be ready to settle down and live in Spokane full time. So I'll probably whether I pursue uh, an MBA or something like that and, and then settle down in, in Europe or in Spokane, sorry to that'll remain to be seen, but yeah, I think I'll probably just um, do use my physiology degree and maybe get an MBA or something like that. And, 
settle down here in Spokane and work in one of the labs like Hollister Steer or something like that and settle down in a normal life. What was the experience like playing junior hockey in your hometown? Yeah, it was it was awesome. That's something that not a lot of kids get to enjoy. It was I'm really thankful for that for sure. I was able to live at home with my mom and dad and um maybe a little hindered in that regard. I was a little babied so I didn't have to grow up quite as fast. It was a bit of a shocker when I had to go to school and actually provide for myself, but it was nice to to live at home and be with my family all the time. I didn't have to move away at 16, 17, 18 years old, which is can be kind of a shocker to some kids and really force you to grow up pretty fast, but yeah, it was awesome. I had a my family obviously at all the home games and a lot of friends and a lot of support and um even more so than that it's just a team in the Spokane Chiefs that I grew up playing and or not playing but uh, kind of idolizing and really enjoyed watching and dreamed of playing on the the Spokane Arena or the old Boone Street Barn and just um you know really kind of had that dream of playing for the Spokane Chiefs for a uh, for a Spokane hockey youth hockey player playing for the Spokane Chiefs is like making the NHL. So that was kind of the the whole dream of growing up and playing in Spokane and maybe someday playing for the Chiefs. So to be able to fulfill that dream and have my family there and with me the whole time, it was it was pretty cool. It's definitely something that I cherish. I know that it was kind of a rarity for a Spokane player to make it that far and even play for the Chiefs and then have a profound impact on the impact on the Chiefs as well. It was pretty cool. What is the hockey, you know, uh, scene, I guess, for lack of a better word, like in Spokane? Because we we hear about guys like yourself, Tyler Johnson, now Kyler Yamamoto that that have come up and, and have had or are having success. When you talk to other guys and learn about their experiences and, and their hometowns, how does Spokane stack up in terms of uh, preparing guys and, and and giving kids you know the opportunities and the resources uh, they need to to have success beyond Spokane. Yeah, it's getting bigger for sure. I mean, especially when I was growing up and playing hockey in Spokane, if if you were a really good or maybe even one of the best hockey players in Spokane, then maybe you'd end up playing for the Spokane Braves, which was the junior B team, and then maybe if you were really good from there, and it's kind of unheard of, you'd make the dump, make the jump to the chiefs and play a few years there. It just wasn't really common for guys to go on and play professional hockey or let alone play in the national hockey league. That's just, it was kind of unheard of when I was growing up in Spokane. So I think it's, it's definitely getting bigger here in Spokane. Um, obviously kids have a little bit more role models like myself or Tyler Johnson or Kyler Yamamoto or even some of the other guys that have gone on to play NCAA, Jeff Smith, Zach Fry. There's lots of guys around the area that have gone on and been successful outside of Spokane youth hockey. So it's it's good. I think that it's pretty hard to compare Spokane to a lot of the markets they're producing NHL hockey players like Toronto or pretty much any of the Canadian cities. It's pretty hard to compare Spokane to something like that. But for a small city in the Pacific Northwest, I think it's pretty a pretty good spot to raise your family and raise a young hockey player and have the opportunity to travel up to, to Canada to play some um, competitive teams. And, yeah, I think the kids are starting to realize that the dream of the NHL obviously is still incredibly hard, but it's not uh, not unheard of. 
so it's got to be a little bit surreal when your dream as a kid wasn't to play in the NHL, is to play for the Chiefs, and you didn't see anybody yep. kind of blaze that trail from Spokane to the NHL to now be one of those guys that, that kids can look up to and that is kind of you know held up in this town as being a guy that, that made it. Yeah, for sure. It's pretty surreal to to think about that. I probably don't think about that nearly enough. But yeah, I definitely um, probably Tyler Johnson blazed the trail to the NHL a little more than I did. I kind of followed his um, footsteps in that regard. But definitely um, blazing that trail from Spokane Youth Hockey to Junior B in Spokane um, to Major Junior through the Chiefs is was super unheard of when I was young and now it's becoming a little more common with the Yamamoto's and some other players that are choosing to go the NCAA route. It's, it's pretty cool to see the, the Spokane market kind of emerge. Um, the hockey market that is. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty surreal to think about me and the path that I had through Spokane youth hockey and kind of giving those kids in Spokane a little more hope, a little more something to shoot for. And, and, um, I mean, at the end of the day, obviously, it's all about having fun when you're a kid and enjoying what you're what you're doing, the sport you're playing, and making good friends and having good memories with them and all that kind of stuff. But it's cool to have some local products kind of make it big. The, as as a, uh, a a hockey player for the Chiefs, as a high schooler, are you guys more or less cool than the Shadow Park football and basketball players? <laughs> That's a good question. Now I'm not sure. You'd have to ask the Yamamoto's. But back in the day, um, I guess I just started playing when I was my senior year in at Shadel. And um, I don't know. I was kind of a dork back then, so I don't know <laughs> if I was considered as cool as the, the varsity athletes. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm sure kids thought it was pretty cool that I was playing for the Chiefs and, you know, playing in front of 9, 10, 11,000 people sometimes and the big Spokane arena, the big venue in town. And, and, um, yeah, I mean, maybe I thought I was cooler than the other kids did, but I thought I was kind of a, an emerging Spokane hockey player. So yeah, it was, it was an interesting dynamic. I went to Shadel and the, the teachers and your, the whole school kind of worked well with all of our travel and missing a lot of school and, and helping me out in that regard. But, um, yeah, it was, it was fun to have that experience and, and kind of, um, I don't know if I was I wasn't famous or anything at that point, but kind of make a name for myself. You you never got jealous when they held like a pep rally for the football team or something like that, and you guys are like we we play in front of packed arenas, guys. Like, come come see us on the weekend. Honestly, I wasn't there enough. We were gone on the road so much that I probably never even was able to go to those pep rallies or or really even have the time to be envious of the the football team and i don't know shadow park never really had a great football team so <laughs> i don't know if i have anything to be envious of there but yeah um i think my teachers and classmates gave me enough credit that i wasn't uh wasn't too worried about those things how hard was it to juggle uh, just the responsibilities of school i mean kids who are athletes do it regardless it, it seems a little bit more intense given the demands of junior hockey and all the travel and all that yeah, it was pretty hard. I, school was always super important to me. I think that's obvious with my career dreams, I guess. But yeah, <laughs> definitely was hard. And um, after I graduated from Shadle, I continued to take classes at the Spokane Falls Community College, my 19 and 20 year old years with the Chiefs. So obviously wanted to keep 
on the school train a little bit and make sure that was always on the back burner and and kind of a plan B and making sure that was important in my life. So yeah, um, all those classes ended up transferring for me to the U of A. So it was a good thing I did that. I'm glad that I did that. Um, but it's hard. I mean, you're on the road a ton, you're missing a ton of classes and, and, uh, as any student athlete knows, if you're not in the class, it's a lot harder to absorb that information and study and do your homework. And if you're not in that school environment, it makes it a lot more difficult. Yeah, it was it was hard for sure. It takes a lot of extra work, a lot of dedication. We had to have study classes and study groups within the Chiefs organization just to make sure we're staying on top of all of it. And um, yeah, I mean, I can't talk enough about how important that is because if I look at all the players that I played with on the Chiefs and the number that made it professional hockey or even to the NHL, the number is really really low. So you have to have some fall back on in school is the most important thing there. So I was always stressed that I was always stressed upon me by my parents. And um, I'm happy that was a, an important thing in our lives because I can't play hockey forever. So I'll need to fall back on it eventually. Strangest or most memorable, good or bad experience on one of those Spokane chiefs road trips uh, through Canada. I mean, you, the, the trips, Mike Boyle's always telling me about them. I mean, the trips that, that they take, especially what the East Plains or whatever, uh, through right. Regina, Saskatchewan and all that, uh, uh, strangest, weirdest, craziest experience packed in a bus with a couple dozen 16 to 20 year olds. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of a long time ago, I guess it's making me feel pretty old. I guess it was like 10 to 12 years ago, but yeah, those <laughs> trips, you make that one big trip out East, once a year, um, you're on the bus all night. I don't even know how I slept, but you find a way to curl up in those, one of those two seats and sleep all night. And I remember waking up one time, I don't even know where we were, somewhere in Alberta or something like that. And we woke up after driving through the night and got off the bus as a team and went into, I think it was IHOP or one of those breakfast places and had a big team breakfast in the middle of IHOP and all the guys are looking pretty pretty rough after sleeping on the bus all night and and uh yeah I mean you pretty much have to get up and I think we had practice that day and then maybe three games and four nights or four games and five nights after that so it's it's a, definitely a grind when you're playing the the major junior hockey route and it it prepares you a little bit more for the the pro level where you're playing a lot of those games in consecutive nights and traveling long distances and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it was, it was some long nights on the bus for sure. How does playing for Bill Peters now compare to playing for Bill Peters those many years back? Yeah, I get that question all the time. He's, he, he hasn't changed much as the, the quick answer to that. I think he still remains true to the coach that he was, the person that he was. He's, he's always been, I don't know, an honest, I guess that's probably the nice way to put it, a blunt person. He's brutally honest. He likes to tell you exactly how it is. He's not going to lie to you. And if it's going to offend you, he probably doesn't care too much. So he's he's a, he's a straight shooter. I think when you're a coach of a junior hockey team, there's a lot more babysitting to it than a lot of people realize. You are coaching 16 to 20-year-old kids that most of them have moved away from home and have a lot of a sense of freedom and zero sense of responsibility aside from hockey. So you're trying to babysit all these, these kids that have all this freedom and trying to teach them how to play hockey the right way. And, 
implement all these different things. So I think Bill has always been good at managing all those different personalities and different aspects of the job. Obviously, he doesn't have to babysit players anymore in the National Hockey League, but he's uh, he's good at balancing all the different personalities, and especially nowadays with the new generation coming through, the millennials, and he's uh, trying to cope with all that too. So I think he's pretty good at managing all that, and, and he's always been good on the hockey side of it. He's one of the best hockey minds I've ever had the privilege of playing for and he's really good at adjusting hockey you know um, strategy or whatnot in the middle of a game he can analyze what the other team's doing and change it right on the bench to something that's more beneficial to our team and yeah he's just a really bright hockey mind he's obviously worked with some of the brightest hockey minds in in hockey in Canada and all that sort of thing so he's no one's going to question that but I think he's a pretty good leader and and uh, manager personalities too. It seems pretty obvious that he was instrumental in, in you getting to Carolina, uh, given that he coached you with the Chiefs yeah. and, and is the coach there now. But uh, can can you give us an even clearer idea of exactly uh, how how that went down and and the the part he played in getting you to the NHL? I guess. Yeah, he's been a big part of that for sure. It's um it's so important that when you're trying to make the NHL or make the next step, whatever it is in Europe, that you have someone on the team or in the organization that believes in you. And I've seen lots of good players not quite make it to the NHL just because they didn't impress the right people and they didn't have a good enough relationship with whatever it is, the management or the coach or training staff, whatever it is. So for me to have that relationship with Bill and, he knew exactly what kind of player I was. He knew what he was going to get from me every night if I was playing for the Hurricanes. So, yeah, I mean, after my year in Sweden, we had a few different NHL teams that were interested. Um, Obviously, teams were a little worried just because I hadn't played pro in North America before, so they were going to have to take a little bit of risk in signing me and giving me an opportunity. Um, And Carolina was offering probably one of the lowest dollar amounts in the in that time and we just felt like it was the best opportunity for me to get a chance to play in the NHL because like we touched on earlier I had a pretty good life in Europe so the only reason to come back and play in North America on a two-way contract where I can play in the farm league the American Hockey League is the only reason I would do that is to play in the National Hockey League so I want to make sure I'm going to the right organization um, that's going to give me the right opportunity and we felt like Carolina with Bill Peters, with their depth chart, with what situation they were in was the best fit for me. And, and I just remember Bill calling me during that time and saying they were interested. He wanted in on the action and, um, yeah, we just kind of tried to make the decision with all those different variables. And Bill was, was one of those variables for sure. And it didn't hurt that you scored a ton of goals in Sweden the year before, right? (laughs) Yeah, that definitely, that definitely helped. I think I was the the player voted MVP in the Swedish league the, the year before, and that's you, probably wait, you, the you, most. You think you were? I feel like that's something you would remember. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, I don't know. I can't remember. Yeah, if the player voted or league voted. I can't remember oh, okay. the golden helmet, whatever, <laughs> whichever one. I think it's player voted. I'm not 100 percent sure on that, but yeah. Anyways, so yeah, it, it that was probably, in all honesty, the most instrumental year of hockey that I had in my pro career just because that Swedish league is so heavily scouted by NHL scouts and North American scouts that 
Um, I mean, there's so many young, good, young Swedish hockey players in that league that it's heavily scouted. So, yeah, the the success I had there was instrumental in me landing a job in the NHL and North America and having that interest. So, yeah, that was that was huge for sure. You mentioned the style of play overseas earlier and how it's uh, less not as not as gritty, I think, which is is the way you put it and, and more open, faster. Yeah. That, that kind of suits your style of play, right? Because you've always been known as a, as a scorer and a creator, that sort of thing yeah for sure um yeah it's different i mean the austrian league was a lot different than the swedish league the swedish league was a lot different than the american hockey league and the american hockey league was you know significantly different than the national hockey league so i feel like i had to adjust to all those different styles of play um the austrian league i think is probably the most comparable to what you're talking about there it's a lot more open way less hitting way more skill way more scoring i mean it's not unheard of to see six five seven five hmm. five four five three those scores in that league is pretty common whereas when i switched to the swedish league after that the swedish league is kind of the exact opposite of the austrian league the swedish league is so defensive um there's big strong d-men the goalies there all played probably in the nhl or could have played in the nhl at one point um you see a lot of one nothing two to one games in that league so being able to adjust from the Austrian league, which is high-powered offense, to the Swedish league, which is high-powered defense, was a big adjustment. And then, obviously, coming from Europe and Sweden to North America, you have the ice size and the American Hockey League in particular. So it's pretty gritty. All the guys there fighting to make it to the NHL, they're all on that edge. Um, they're willing to throw whatever it takes in front of that puck to, to block it and throw their body on the line every night and kind of battle tooth and nail every every single night whereas the nhl is a little bit more more organized chaos i guess you could say there's everyone's in the right place at the right time they they made it the nhl for the right reasons they're they're smart hockey players and um not to say that they're not gritty and tough and throwing their body on the line but they're just a little more smart about it so it's definitely an adjustment every step of the way for me and my career and how it's progressed and being able to make those adjustments was crucial for me. So playing in Sweden, given the style of play and, and a little bit lower scoring, you said the, the big tough D men, when you score a bunch of goals yeah. like you did, that's, that's going to get some attention. Yeah, for sure. It was pretty, I remember just negotiating my contract in Sweden. And if you are a point per game in Sweden, that is, pretty unheard of that's i mean you're the best player in the league and you're probably going to sign in the nhl or the khl in russia the next year so i remember negotiating some bonuses and my my agent was negotiating i think they play 50 games so he was negotiating for 55 points and 65 points and the team was just like if you score 65 points this bonus isn't going to mean anything because you're going to sign in the khl or the nhl next year so it doesn't really matter so, yeah, it was pretty unheard of for me to – I can't remember exactly how many points I had, over 60, I think, that year. So, yeah, it was it was pretty – I had, like I said before, that was probably the biggest year I had in hockey. And, yeah, I scored a lot of points in that league. Definitely made me get noticed. Yeah, and sure enough, you were gone. Where do you think that the knack for being a goal scorer and, and a creator on the ice comes from? I mean, not, not everybody does that, but it seems like that's just kind of been your M.O. since the beginning. Yeah, I mean – Definitely a goal scorer. I think maybe more of a playmaker, I think, is probably the best way to describe me. I can score goals, too. Um, but I 
like to say I'm maybe more of a playmaker than a goal scorer. But yeah, it's just, honestly, I see a lot of guys in the American Hockey League and even in college or whatnot that have all the skill. They have the shot, they have the hands, they have the, the legs, they can skate, they can do all these things, but it's all it's all in your head. If you can think the game, if you're smart enough to dissect what's going on in the game and kind of be a, a step ahead or a half a step ahead, whatever it is, ahead of your competition, then and then you're going to be in the right place at the right time and you're going to be able to score goals and produce points and make the players around you better. So I think that's probably my biggest attribute is that I just I think the game really well and I'm able to kind of think my way around the hockey rink and that's what's helped me produce pretty much at every level so far. Sometimes it's you know when you're watching hockey it's obvious if there's a rush or something like that or on a on a power play in those situations right. but a, a lot of times when you're watching the game it's easy to kind of get uh almost almost lulled into a daze when they have those uh, periods of the game where where it's a bit more back and forth and nothing's necessarily happening and then somebody can strike like that how, how right. do you see it like from from a player's perspective from from a fan and somebody that doesn't know the game obviously nearly as well um when when we see very specific moments of opportunity you i would guess see way more like what's what's it like for you yeah, it's it's usually those top echelon of players, the Sidney Crosby's, the Patrick Kane's, the Jonathan Tays, the Jeff Skinner's. It's when you're watching the game and maybe you have a moderate level of hockey sense and you can kind of predict predict what that player is going to do with the puck. And then all of a sudden, 10 seconds later, one of those players makes a play that you didn't expect. You, you were expecting them to maybe pass it one direction and they faked it that way and went the other way and the D-man looked silly and <laughs> the puck ended up in the back of the net. So it's it's being able to make those plays in small spaces kind of unpredictably and the defense and the other team is obviously trying to read the game just as well as you are and you can kind of fool them into thinking you're doing something other than you are and that's kind of when the, usually those top top scoring opportunities arise and as a just a normal fan. I don't think they really realize what happens a lot of time, but it's a lot of that world-class skill and world-class hockey sense that creates those opportunities. Most memorable goal of your career? Well, it's got to be my first one. I think my first one in my first game in New Jersey had my mom, my dad there, uh, my sister there, my wife, our son Zane. Uh, we all, we flew him in for that game. I found out I was, getting called up the day before so we kind of just mad scrambled to get him to new jersey which is no small feat from spokane washington <laughs> and um yeah just i mean that first nhl game kind of culminating in one moment this whole progression through european hockey well i mean before that through spokane youth hockey to spokane chiefs to the u of a to U- european hockey to the american hockey league and now i'm playing in my first nhl game at 29 years old and getting on the power play bill peter's giving me an opportunity on the power play and just kind of yeah i mean i'll remember that that goal coming off the half wall there and pulling it in and scoring on um cory schneider yeah i think that's who it was yeah i mean i have it the puck and the screenshot up in my man cave right now it's just one of those goals that when i saw it hit the twine all that that emotion going through your body and the joy, the elation, you can't even really describe it in words. You can only try and talk about it, but that experience, and it's pretty cool. It's one of those moments that 
me and my family will probably talk about and remember for sure for the rest of our lives. Yeah, first goal and first game. I mean, that that just I, I can't imagine the 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 feeling and the elation given, especially the lead up to that, and then to finally make your debut and for that to happen. Yeah, I mean, storybook, right? Doesn't get much better than that. <laughs> uh, all right, coolest goal. Like, if, if the one you'd want to look at a million times on YouTube, if there was video of it. <laughs> um, is this just in the NHL or no? No, just... any level any level i mean it's probably got to be one that i scored this year in la i think it made sports center top 10 or whatever the two-on-one shorthanded me and brock mcginn against drew dowdy of la i kind of got in a weird position i went behind the back pass over to brock mcginn dowdy slid over to try and block the shot and brock brock slid it underneath him over to me wide open net pretty uh beautiful passing play and yeah cool goal for sure most memorable in the nhl no question i'll have to go look that one up uh so you you finish your rookie season 67 games played uh sign a seven figure contract this year what what, what what's it like to be in your shoes now just given uh, again just the, the path that you've taken and you're you're kind of i guess there's there's you know, in, in professional sports, you can never really get too comfortable, but you're kind of settling in to, to some degree into life as an NHL hockey player. Yeah, I definitely have that feeling. I don't know, maybe like February or March, I guess maybe January this season, where I was solidifying my spot as a full-time NHLer, which is which is no small feat to do. Um, yeah, you, you get that a little bit of comfort. Um, I've always kind of had the mindset that it's incredibly difficult to make it to the NHL and it's twice as hard to stay there. So that's kind of the mentality that I have. That I'm obviously on a one-year contract again, so I need to continue to prove myself. And and um, basically the goal at this point is just to, to replicate and build off what I did last year and then hopefully I'll able, be able to get a little longer term on my contract but yeah I mean it's it's pretty surreal when I look at what I signed for this year and where I've come from and from all the way from my first year in the Austrian league where I was making thirty thousand dollars and now like you said signing a seven-figure contract it's it's pretty pretty amazing I feel super blessed by the big guy upstairs and I try and not take it for granted every every day when uh when's camp get going for you guys middle of september i haven't gotten the for sure date but i think it's like september 14th just from guessing looking at the schedule so a couple more months to go what what's what's the thing you have to do in, in spokane before you head that way <laughs> uh I go to silverwood with my kids for sure we got that on the the bucket list for the summer um, I mean, this is aside from all the training and work that I need to do for the season, right? I'm yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, we won't talk about training <laughs> when you're allowed <laughs> to enjoy yourself of, a little uh, bit. Yeah, that's expected. Yeah, Silverwood for sure. Probably a couple more coral lane days on the boat with some friends. Um, maybe a, a couple day trip to Seattle to see some friends over there. And, and, um, yeah, I usually just get together with my friends and family at least once a week at, at our house here in Spokane and enjoy being home while we can. Are you a roller coaster or a water park guy? Uh, I'm a little bit of both, but I'm a pretty avid roller coaster guy. I mean, Silverwood has a little bit of 
roller coaster fun. It's not like a Six Flags or anything like that, so I can kind of get a fix. But yeah, I'm, I'm a I'm a pretty big roller coaster guy. If you can, the bigger, scarier, faster, more upside down, more whatever turns, and then I'm gonna love it even more. So Jeez. I'm pretty big into that. Better you than me. What's the best one you've been on? The best one I've been on is a couple in Six Flags. Uh, Magic Mountain, California. There's the, the Superman one, which lifts you up there. It's pretty cool. The Goliath. I mean, this is all like 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I haven't been down there in a while, but that was the best in terms of roller coaster theme parks. Six Flags is pretty hard to beat, I think. So that's that's kind of the mecca of roller coasters. I want to go back. Do you have to psych yourself up? Or are you just going from one to the next? No, no fear. Oh no, yeah. I'm I'm bouncing from one to the next. I'm ready to go. I, I don't have to, yeah, I don't have to psych myself up or anything. I'm just ready to rock and roll. I'd be, I'd be breathing into a paper bag if that were me. <laughs> well, I, appreci- I don't know what it is. I love it. My, my dad or my, my youngest, or my son, he's a little boy, he's three and a half and he's pretty, um, he's pretty wild. So I'm hoping that he's going to grow into be a, a roller coaster fanatic like me and we can go on the roller coasters together because it's hard to find someone that (laughs) wants to go on them as much as i do yeah i bet that'd be part of the challenge well enjoy the off season what's left of it and uh, i appreciate you doing this best of luck with everything all right cool thanks darnay i appreciate it thanks Derek.